Hello, welcome. Thank you for listening to First Responder Psychological Support. My name is Sarah Gura, and I'm a master's level licensed clinical professional counselor in the state of Illinois and a licensed mental health counselor in Florida. I work at the self-care path where I treat first responders, and I am also an EMDR therapist and a yoga teacher. Uh, Let's go ahead and start with taking a nice deep breath in. And as you exhale, maybe allowing the shoulders to pull down and away from the ears as you straighten the spine and really root down through your hip bones, down to your feet, spreading your toes, maybe spreading your fingers like starfish and then letting everything just relax. Taking a moment to relax the face muscles around your eyes your nose, cheeks, and jawbone. And maybe just taking another moment to thank yourself for listening to a podcast, for being curious, uh, for allowing your body to reset and relax a little bit. And hopefully this podcast, whenever you're listening to it, finds you having a pretty good day. And if not, I'm hoping that you take good care. So as you continue to sort of wiggle about and get your listening ears on, (laughs) I have to admit that I published this podcast like two days ago, and then I accidentally deleted it. And so, of course, I was sort of like, oh, well, fuck. And... I have to slow down sometimes. I have to remind myself, you can't be fiddle farting and dilly dicking around. (laughs) My mom's been telling me that since day one. So um, because of that, I'm going to give this another try because I think this podcast about the ego and its defenses are really important. So this is season four, episode three, the ego and its defenses. And one of the reasons that I really wanted to talk about this was because the previous podcast was called Feel Your Fucking Feelings, and I gave a lot of credit to emotions and the process of it moving into a physical sensation and a psychological sensation, which carries a message of wisdom about your needs, wants, and preferences, And a lot of people believe or think uh, that they're supposed to push their feelings down, that they're supposed to conquer their feelings, that they're supposed to overcome them. Or if they have a lack of anxiety or a lack of depression, a lack of anger, or any of the emotions, um, that that must mean they're doing well. And that's such a myth, like that's so not reality, And I want people to feel their feelings. I want them to be in tune with the wisdom of their body because, as I've said before, we can choose our thoughts. We can watch our thoughts. We can think about what we're thinking. And feelings are not that way. If you take a moment to notice, uh, you can choose to change your thoughts. You can gain perspective. uh, You can change you know, what you're thinking about. Uh, But you, if you try to stop feeling your feelings, uh, I'd be super shocked if you 
or able to stop feeling your feelings. Now you might be able to ignore, deny, minimize, or numb them, but you can't watch your feelings. You can't choose your feelings. Feelings are reflexes. And so in talking about that in the previous podcast, um, I wanted to talk about the ego and its defenses as well, because that focuses a little bit more on that thought part. And so when I think about the ego, I think about the famous psychologist Sigmund Freud. Uh, not sure if you remember that guy, but he was he came about during the Victorian era where there was a lot of sex and violence. Go figure. There's still a lot of sex and violence, but that's what a lot of his theories were focusing on because of the sex and violence in that time. And one of the things he talked about was the ego. And he said there were three layers, the id, the ego, and the superego. Now, some people think that Freud is crazy. They were like, he did cocaine and said you wanted to bang your parents, Sarah. There's an explanation for that. (laughs) Uh, Especially like with the bang your parents part, uh, everybody gets super uncomfortable about that. But if we look at it as a metaphor, I don't think he was far off because of the repetition, compulsion, and patterns that we see with human beings. So to me, it makes sense that a little girl would be competing with her mother for her dad's attention. And so she may become more like her mother in order to win him over or be opposite of her thinking that that will get her, you know, a better result. And inevitably women might grow up to marry their fathers or someone just opposite of them. And so that's what that was talking about, the Electra complex. And then the Oedipus complex uh, was referring to boys and how boys compete with their fathers and really want to um, conquer, right? That threat or that intimidation or competition with their dad by winning mom over. And inevitably, uh, boys become men and marry women just like their mothers or opposite of depending on how they're wired in their ego and their defenses. Um, but I digress with that. I'll come back to the point about the id, the ego, and the superego. So when I teach this to first responders, I usually talk about the id as the sort of out of control part of ourself. Um, but it's a really great survival mechanism. So if I'm hungry and I walk into a grocery store and I take the cart off the apple, the apple off the cart, I mean, (laughs) uh, and just start eating it, that would be my id because my id would think my hunger justifies taking this apple and eating it. So screw you, I'm fine. Um, But in our society, we have rules and norms and social mores and things like that. So the ego might intervene. That's the second level. So we have id. And then the ego may say, dang, Sarah, like, why don't you put the apple in your pocket and at least go out to the parking lot and then you could eat it in private and not get caught for theft, you know? And so the ego is a manipulative fellow or chick, however you want to put it, and a liar in many ways. But I kind of like that part of myself because She's trying to protect me. She's trying to make sure that I'm careful. And for that reason, I love her dearly, even though I have to parent her when she comes up with those knucklehead thoughts. So what about the superego? 
the super ego is the one that like all the firefighters seem to like the super ego would jump in or police officers, uh, first responders when I'm teaching the super ego though, would get involved and say, Oh, you're hungry. Oh, you want apples? Why don't you get a freaking job? And then you can buy all the apples you want, <laughs> you know? And so that explanation of the superego is, you know, I'm moral, I'm ethical, I make sense, I have the solution. But by and large, it's still your ego. And for conversation and teaching sake, I like to separate the id, ego, and superego from the self. They work together just fine, right? Thoughts and feelings are like the peanut butter and jelly of psychology. <laughs> you know, you don't want to be without one or the other. You want to use them both. But for whatever reason, society said we're only having peanut butter sandwiches. And that's just not right, in my opinion. And so we have to allow ourselves to evolve and grow, make progress, transition, adjust, evolve, so that we are noticing our thoughts and feelings and becoming very self-aware to the point of recognizing any patterns that may sabotage us. And then when we recognize those patterns, we can choose to change. So we don't need to be an id, an ego, or a super ego, although those parts will always be quite apparent. When you pair all of that with feelings, you're going to get like a more complete picture about what do we need to do. And so this time, like I said, in this particular podcast, we're going to focus on the ego and its defenses. And I'm going to reference the DSM-4. So we're actually in the DSM-5. That's the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of mental health disorders. And in the fourth edition on page 808, I'm looking at it right now, 808 and 809, there's these defense levels and individual defense mechanisms that I want to talk about. And of course, these are all employed by the ego. And they're not good, they're not bad, they are not right, and they are not wrong. They are just there to help us. They're the little helpers you know, um, but helpers, uh, in this case are supposed to be temporary. So even the ignore, deny, minimize, and numb are types of defenses that the ego will employ, which makes sense to me temporarily. A lot of first responders get on a scene and they have to put their feelings aside. The way they put their feelings aside is by using their ego and their defenses. And when they go back to the station, they may feel their feelings when it's safer, more appropriate, and professional to do so. Um, but as you listen to me describing these different defense levels and defense mechanisms, I want you to notice, okay, what ways have I employed my ego and my defense mechanism for too long of a period. Because again, I like to talk about how the personality is on the outside. It is backed up by our defenses and our defenses are employed by the ego. And what is it all protecting? The self. So at the core in the center is the, uh, the gooey uh, self part, right? The heart and the feelings and then the brain and all the thoughts and the defenses are layered up through the ego, which is the shell around the self, let's say. And the ego employs those defenses on that next outer layer. And then the personality shows. And of course, 
personality disorders are when our ego and defenses have gone too far. So the other thing I want to make mention just language-wise is we say coping skills and defense mechanisms for a reason. Uh, Sometimes people don't always make like the distinguishing um, language in, in, in coping skill and defense mechanism. But I like to emphasize that because a skill is something that you learn, practice, and use. A mechanism is sort of this internal tool that we have. And I would rather you definitely, once again, use a skill over a mechanism. But they're there for a reason, usually temporary use. All right, so let's get started. Uh, There's the first category. The first category is called high adaptive level defense mechanisms. And I'm going to list them for you. Anticipation, affiliation, altruism, humor, self-assertion, self-observation, sublimation, and suppression. And I'm going to describe each one. So the first uh, high adaptive level defense mechanism is anticipation. That makes sense that we should anticipate that something is going to happen. That shows that we can do if-then thinking. So if I pull my sister's hair, then she will scream and I might get in trouble, right? So that starts at a really young age. Anticipating that may help you uh, make a better judgment call uh, or it may help you choose a wiser or better behavior. As adults, an example I think about is the boss asked you to um, come to his office at the beginning of your next shift, and you're going to anticipate that. You might scan through your mind and wonder what it's about. If you anticipate too much and start ruminating and racing in your mind, of course, anticipation as a defense mechanism turns into anxiety. Um, And if you don't choose wisely, anticipation can become anxiety and panic and all these other things. So it's important to understand why defense mechanisms are temporary and in the long term cause more pain. So again, we have to think about the ego and the defenses as something that we choose, that our thoughts are something that we choose. And when we notice that our choice of thought no longer serves us, we should probably change that up. Uh, which is challenging to do. You have to learn how to do that. But really, that's the core, I think, of cognitive behavioral therapy is addressing some of those defensive thoughts Um, and noticing that we can't change or choose what we feel. That's more of a reflex. But anyway, if I go to the second high adaptive level defense mechanism, I listed out affiliation. Affiliation is a smart idea, too. Right? This is why you relate to the red line and the blue line. That's why I, as a therapist, can affiliate with other therapists. There's a sense of belonging. There's a sense of emotional support, validation. Uh, and being understood or in a cohesive group brings a sense of security and safety. That's why it's considered a high adaptive level defense me- mechanism. Of course, if you over-affiliate, let's say you can uh, find someone who always wears the department t-shirt, has the department sticker, uh, goes to every function of the department, or you know, over-indulges uh, maybe in training and events and their whole life 
is about affiliating with their career. The bummer part of that would just be a lack of perspective and experience. And should something happen uh, to that affiliation, there's no affiliation with something else to back you up and support you to help you feel all the positive things that this defense mechanism was trying to provide. So because of time, I may not go back and forth and describe why it's useful and why it's harmful. Uh, But I want you to be thinking about that as I'm speaking through these two pages of the DSM about the ego and its defenses. Now, the next one, the next high adaptive level defense mechanism is altruism. And even Mother Teresa, who we might say was super altruistic, she got something out of doing that. It met a need of hers. It met a want. It met a preference of how she wanted to live her life. And so we have to watch how we talk about altruism, in my opinion. I think about even how I'm doing this podcast. I do it for free. There's no apparent benefit of me just talking to myself in my office here. (laughs) But uh, at the same time, someone might say, well, other people are listening to it and maybe they're getting something out of it. And if you're not getting anything in return, that would be called altruistic. But in fact, I am getting something out of this because I think of this shit all the time. And so the purge actually feels pretty good. Um, Whether I'm talking to myself or not, it would probably happen in my head anyway. Uh, So that is the third high adaptive level defense mechanism. Actually, I want to add too. just thinking about first responders, often told that they are altruistic, um, but we have to admit that you get something out of being a dispatcher or an emergency department staff, uh, law enforcement officer, or excuse me, a firefighter. So altruism, I think as a defense mechanism, is one of those things that just can't be. But if you think that it is, it can become pretty problematic. The next one, the next high adaptive level defense mechanism is humor. And that's probably one of my favorite parts of working with first responders is the many different types of humor. And we have witty humor and satirical humor. We have slapstick humor and sophomoric humor and even gallows humor. And humor is meant to take a load off, right? To shave a layer of that stress away. And so first responders definitely have a sense of humor that the public may not understand or even want to know about, Um, but we must use it and we should. It's considered a high adaptive level defense mechanism. Now, if you're inappropriate, you think you're funny and nobody else does, that would be humor going bad. Now, the next one is self-assertion. A uh, high adaptive level defense mechanism, self-assertion. Uh, of course, it's appropriate to be assertive. We don't want you to be passive. You really do not need to be aggressive. And we certainly wouldn't want passive aggressive behavior. But being assertive, knowing what your rights are, meeting your own needs, wants, and preferences without stepping on the toes of other people uh, is a really appropriate defense mechanism. And of course, some people will say, well, I'm going to be really aggressive with this. I'm going to really make sure I'm in control. That's not self-assertion. That's aggression. Uh, And we don't want to do that. That's not appropriate. Nor is it helpful or realistic. Uh, 
So if we look at reality-based thinking and we give it some perspective, uh, we would totally understand that aggression just creates more uh, cyclical problems. So the next one, self-observation, a high adaptive level defense mechanism called self-observation is sort of something that I teach almost every day to at least one person or go over it with someone. Uh, Self-observation is kind of along the lines of when I say, I just want you to notice yourself because if you can notice what you're thinking and feeling and what urge of behavior you're about to do or you're considering, If you can notice that, you will cultivate self-awareness. And again, self-awareness is what allows you to recognize your patterns. And whatever patterns don't serve you, you're supposed to choose to change. Of course, a lot of people keep their patterns and they give me all these excuses and justifications and explanations for why they do the things that they do, even if it's self-harming, self-sabotaging, and makes no real sense. So... We have to be careful uh, with that kind of stuff. But self-observation is definitely a high adaptive level defense mechanism uh, that I wish more people would employ, quite honestly. (laughs) The next one is sublimation. So this is the bad urge turned into good or maybe the um, bad experience that you make a good life lesson. So sublimation, as far as what I teach, is what I call the pain to pleasure uh, technique. So in life, I say that pain is inevitable. Your suffering is an option. And so I know I lived my life and I teach my clients to get perspective on your pain so that you can identify a purpose for it. And when you have that meaning and purpose, you can decide what to do to be productive about it. So if the shit hits the fan, you decide to clean it up and whistle while you work. When you go to sleep at night, that'll give you a sense of pride. Uh, And that is how we turn a shit day or a shit situation into a pleasure, right? So I'm a pain converting machine in that way. Sublimation is what I think about. And when I take a, a shitty situation and I make it work for me, I notice that I'm a really powerful person. And I take comfort in that bit of power because I'm not in control. You know, I can't control that it happened or something didn't happen, but I can choose to empower myself and make a choice that kind of is in line with the integrity of Sarah. And in that regard, I keep reaching my potential and I keep uh, evolving my potential or getting to new levels of potential. So sublimation in that sense can be really helpful. Um, It's just important to not think that, well, everything's so optimistic or everything is so positive in this world. It's not. Uh, I always like to tell people that the glass is not half empty or half full. It is both. So that's the reality. The last one in this category of high adaptive level defense mechanisms is suppression. So this is a conscious effort to put emotions out of awareness temporarily, by the way, so that you can cope or until you can cope. 
So first responders do this all the time. They're actually really good at it, but when they do it too good for too long of a time, it starts to fuck with them and it's no good. So for example, you go on a call and you have some strong feelings about what has happened and you suppress those emotions so that you can do your due diligence and your duty, your job and be professional. And then when you maybe get back to the station or even back home, or you can hit the weights, whatever it is, you can feel those feelings safely. So suppression is a conscious effort to put emotion out of awareness. So now we can kind of see, I hope, just in the beginning of starting this, that defense levels uh, are not good or bad, right or wrong. Again, it's just a part of the system of you being a human. It's a part of your psychology. But it's smarter, I think, to be aware of them than to just allow them to employ themselves and then sort of become you. Uh, I would rather you have a choice and you choose how you're going to change or how you're going to respond to something. Because on this level, on the ego and defense level, a lot of it is a reaction. And I use those two words in different ways. Reacting for me is getting triggered and having an automatic reaction. And the reason we call you first responders is because we're not going to trigger you into some action or reaction. We are going to trigger you and then you're going to use your thoughts, your talents, your skills, your SMOs, your SOGs, your SOPs, your professional role uh, to respond to a crisis, not react to it. So that's how those two words are different for me and how I'd like people to sort of make a little bit of a language um, difference so that you know what you mean and you know how to describe what's going on to yourself. Okay, so the next um, level is called mental inhibitions. So mental inhibition defense mechanisms are listed Uh, in this way. Displacement, dissociation, intellectualization, isolation of affect, reaction formation, repression, and undoing. So again, the ego is employing some defenses uh, to help take care of you. Displacement, think of the kick the dog syndrome. You have a bad day at work and you come home and kick the dog. That would be displacement you know, of the emotions you felt during your bad day. Or you come home and the dishes aren't done and you start bitching about that and the laundry isn't done and you bitch about that and your kids need help with homework and you don't help them with that and you go off and uh, go to the nearest hole in the wall or your garage or the basement and do your own thing to show everybody your displaced anger or displaced emotion, whatever it is. Uh, totally inappropriate behavior, right? Uh, You should be more responsible and accountable for yourself. But what you're trying to do is avoid the very uncomfortable feelings uh, that you are having. And you're also transferring those uncomfortable feelings to everyone else. And that's probably why we have the saying of like, misery loves company. Um, But why does misery love company? What's the adaptive level, (laughs) you know, of that? Well, if you share your misery, someone might say, oh, can I help you? I mean, if you think about it, babies cry and we're wired to look to see what's going on and then meet their needs. Um, But as we age, 
that's some bullshit and nobody wants to deal with your displaced, transferred, miserable behavior. So (laughs) there's that. But definitely uh, a mental inhibition defense mechanism. Now, the next one is dissociation. So this could be mild, moderate, severe, and even psychotic. Um, But dissociation could be something as simple as, oh, no, not me. I would never do that. All the way to, you know, let's say we have a victim who was assaulted somehow and they cannot remember what happened. And in their mind, they just went blank. They can't remember what they saw, what they heard, or even what happened. So dissociation can be really, really powerful. And again, it's meant to protect you. You know, if you're dissociating during a terrible event, it's because your brain is saying, I I can't take that much. You know, I have to kind of shut down, you know, my sensory intake so that I don't overload and keep traumatizing myself. Okay, so of course, dissociation in the long term is also not very good because, you know, one of the things that a lot of first responders will say to me is, oh, I don't remember my childhood at all. And that, of course, raises a huge flag to me because if you had a great childhood, you would tell me, oh, my parents were great. I had good birthdays. The holidays were always nice. Um, I thought I learned, you know, and, and had, had a good time or a decent childhood. When someone says, yeah, I don't remember anything, uh, you are definitely in some dissociation there to protect yourself. All right. So the next one is intellectualization, um, the mental inhibition defense mechanism, uh, level or section intellectualization is when we think that thoughts are more valuable than feelings, that knowledge will get you somewhere. And in a way, most of my podcast listeners are total intellectualizers. My hope is that most of you are taking this information so that you can have insight and then you can kind of adjust and change with that sense of self-awareness. But unfortunately, there are also a lot of people who just dig in that self-help section of Barnes and Noble or Amazon and through podcasts. And they're just, you know, doing a lot of thinking and gaining a lot of knowledge. And yet they're not happy themselves. Um, Sometimes I even see that in a lot of peer supporters um, where they want to learn and educate themselves so much on psychology or helping Um, but they haven't quite figured out how to apply that knowledge to actually be happy, healthy, safe, and free themselves. So intellectualization can kind of go wrong. There's nothing wrong with learning and knowing things. In fact, I encourage it. That's why I have a podcast. But it's so important to be able to apply that knowledge. You know, to have the application of knowledge is called technology. So to have all this podcast information turn into into technology for you to use, that would be coping, um, not intellectualizing. So there's a big difference there. The next one is called isolation of affect. So affect with an A, A A-F-F-E-C-T, affect in psychology means the range of feelings that you can have, right? So that range of feelings 
is super important. You should have a range of affect where you can feel happy, healthy, safe, and free. You can feel annoyed, frustrated, mad, angry, pissed off, rageful, hopefully not black out anger. But there's obviously many different ways that we can feel about things. And some guys will say, you know, I don't have feelings or I'm either good or I'm not. And it's important to have a feelings vocabulary and to know what feeling is what. Otherwise, you're ignoring, denying, minimizing, and numbing again. And isolation of affect means you're screening out feelings. You won't allow yourself to feel. And if you don't allow yourself to feel, you can't be emotionally intelligent. You can't be wise. You're just kind of stuck in that ego and those defense mechanisms. So... Uh, This is also why I absolutely love EMDR. It helps us to deal with the feelings that maybe you were screening out. The next one in the list, though, I'm going to keep going because there's so much information and this um, podcast only allows me to record an hour at a time and then it cuts me off. And we're at 32 minutes and 26 seconds here. Um, But the next one is reaction formation. This is doing the opposite You know, uh, so when I was in college, I remember reading that somebody would love to cut things up and reaction formation would be instead of destroying stuff, they became a hairstylist, right? So I'm, I'm not going to destroy something. I'm going to be productive with it. It's the reaction formation. We may also see that in the gay community if there's like high prejudice and discrimination, someone who wants to express their feminine side but doesn't feel safe, and so they go to the other extreme and show off or express more of their masculinity. So that could be reaction formation as well. Of course, the problem with that would be you're not being true to yourself. There's no integrity in that. You're not in alignment. Your head and heart are struggling in a conflict, you know, and it's going to feel like it has a problem it can't solve um, unless truly it feels like, no, this is productive and this is a great expression for me in order to, you know, cope. Um, But again, I consider that temporary uh, and we should find ways to just allow ourselves to uh, be ourselves. Okay, so what about unconscious, or not unconscious, repression? It's actually just repression. So a mental inhibition defense mechanism called repression is an unconscious effort to shut down the thoughts, okay? So some people get these confused. Suppression was on the uh, high adaptive level defense mechanism uh, placement, let's say. And that was a conscious effort to put emotions out of awareness. Repression is an unconscious effort to shut down thoughts. So you don't know that you're doing it. It's repressed. And so that's why it's on more of the mental inhibition level. And that is why suppression is high adaptive level. One is conscious, suppression is conscious, and one is unconscious, and that's repression. I hope that was clear. Okay. Um, The last one in this section of mental inhibitions as a defense mechanism is undoing. So let's say that you came in and you blew up at the family and you yelled at everyone for months on end. And then you realized how shitty of a family member you had been uh, in those last few months. And you decide to take everyone to Disney. You're trying to undo um, the damage. 
And of course, there's many other examples, but I hope that one just triggers the meaning of undoing right away because sometimes we do things that we really regret or that we feel ashamed about. And so we consciously or subconsciously try to undo what was done. Okay. The next section of defense mechanisms is called minor image distorting level defense mechanisms. There's three of them, devaluation, idealization, and omnipotence which I had to laugh a little bit because in the, la- in the last recording of this, I said omnipotence. And that was how one of my teachers with a heavy accent would say that word. In fact, a lot of my teachers, mentors, consultants um, have accents at the university. And it kind of made me giggle when I heard it because I struggled terribly in statistics. I'm, I'm doing a side note here. And my teacher was Asian, and he used to say, use assumation. And I would be like, assumation. And I would write down assumation, and I was like, I don't know what the hell he wants me to do. I, like, I don't know what this function is. And I you know, looked it up, and finally I got the balls to ask somebody, like, what do you do with an assumation? What does that even mean? And they're like, Sarah, summation, sum add it. You just add it. (laughs) And I was like, oh shit. I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm like, I heard assumation. And they said, yeah, summation, the sum, add it. So anyway, omnipotence for the English version, omnipotence for whatever language we were speaking uh, in that classroom. So anyway, the minor image distorting level a defense mechanism called devaluation, that's the first one, is the opposite of idealization. Devaluation is taking away. You're not giving it the value. And somehow that's serving you, right? You're distorting the reality a little bit uh, so that you can deal with it because apparently you're not dealing with it unless you devalue it. Uh, so that's, that's a bummer. Uh, and when we're not dealing with reality, obviously there's a problem. But what about idealization? You know, that's an exaggerated positive quality that you're giving someone. And we don't want to be idolizing or having idealization um, because, again, it's exaggerated positive qualities. Nothing is 100%. As I always say, I'm a solid C-plus student. Cs get degrees, people. Although I was not a C student, um, I'm a C person in life for sure. So anyway, those are the first two minor image distorting level defense mechanisms. The third and last one in this category, omnipotence. Um, That's the delusion that you can direct, control, um, and, well, I guess, yeah, control whatever's outside of yourself. And first responders have this omnipotence very much mostly because you do show up to a scene and you have to get in control of it. You're getting paid and trained to control shit. Um, Unfortunately, that might give you a false sense of security or a false idea that you can direct and control in your personal life. And when you find out that you absolutely cannot, that's really baffling for a lot of first responders And they can't believe it because why can I go to work and be so effective and I come home and it doesn't work? Because 
it's an ego thing. It's defensive. It's not reality. And you need to feel your feelings. Feel your fucking feelings. (laughs) So there's that. All right, the next one, disavowal level. In this defense mechanism category, we have denial, projection, and rationalization. Denial, of course, I mentioned that the most because a lot of people are in denial and they just refuse to accept the reality. You know, maybe a great example of that would be alcoholics. I always think about that because first responders will say, oh, you don't want me to drink this weekend? I'll prove it to you. I won't drink this weekend. You don't want me to drink for a week, a month, whatever. But I always say, I don't care about your sobriety. I care about how connected you are to yourself. The opposite of addiction is not sobriety. The opposite of addiction is connection. So I don't care if you can hold your breath for a little bit and tell me that you didn't have a drink. Um, You're in denial, you know, that you have a problem if you tell me that you're controlling your drinking. Uh, Make choices and connections. That would be better. No more denial. All right, what about projection? That's denying the impulse or the quality in yourself, uh, whatever it is, and you attribute it to other people. So if I project that he's an asshole, I might be an asshole myself. If I project that she's being bitchy, I might be bitchy myself. You know, uh, So it's important not to project your stuff onto everyone else. And of course, we do a lot of that. As a therapist, that is actually something I have to deal with all the time. Um, people sort of project their thoughts onto me. I have definitely heard what some people think of me and they project, you know, their thoughts, but that is part of the, um, their thoughts, their fears, etc. That's part of the job, right? Like you have to kind of sit there and deal with what people think of you. And it's interesting because one person will think this and the next person will think that. And then another person will have this off the wall projection and then another person. And really what you're doing is you're just telling me a lot about yourself. You're not you know, telling me something about myself. And so that's how I gather a little bit of clinical information, you know, is whatever uh, is projected onto me or to other people. So the third one in this category is rationalization. So um, the way I like to talk about this one is that you're rationalizing something you're without a true explanation. So people like to justify, they like to excuse, and they like to explain themselves. And rationalization is sort of that umbrella term for this defense mechanism. Um, when you're rationalizing, you're only including part of reality, not all of it. So the next one, because time is uh, getting close here, the next defense mechanism section is called major image distorting level. And that includes autistic fantasy, projective identification, and splitting of self-image or splitting others. So autistic fantasy, I wish would be renamed. Um, But maybe the best way to describe that are our daydreamers who retreat to daydreaming a lot in the inner world that they construct in order to cope with their stress. And one of probably the ways that you would understand this best is to picture the first responders who are playing video games 
all of the time. And so they go to this alternative reality where they can sort of act out some of their impulses. It's a daydream. It's a retreat. They get relief from it. It's why it's so addicting. Uh, but that to me is definitely in that autistic fantasy section where this is how they're coping with their stress. This is how they're defending themselves. They're kind of skipping reality while they're awake. Um, so there's that. And then there's projective identification. And with projective identification, um, again, you're projecting and you're identifying with it. So there could be transference and counter-transference here, or at least I think of that, those two concepts very much. Transference is what we sort of send to other people. It's our vibe. And counter-transference is the vibe that we're picking up, right? So I'm slipping on what you're mopping. And projective identification uh, is definitely that major image distorting level type of defense. And projecting says more about you and how you're identifying more than it has anything to do with the other person. Okay, so what about splitting uh, or splitting others? You might often hear about this actually with children. I did it with my parents all the time because <laughs> I was such an angel. Um, but I would split them by, you know, avoiding asking my dad for permission to do something because he would say no. And I knew that. So I would go to my mom and maybe ask her, can I have my friend sleep over? And she would maybe go hem and haw and I don't know. And let me ask your dad. And then I would beg and she'd be like, fine, just let him sleep over. Right. And I got the yes out of her. And then my parents, you know, might be upset with each other and have to argue that out and either decide that I wasn't having someone sleep over or I could. Uh, but either way, I was splitting my parents by consciously doing that. Uh, so children do this all the time. They can split their parents' side with, you know, one another, but people can do this. Uh, at work as well. And in the first responder world, there are a lot of, let's say, battalion chiefs that I have heard about or lieutenants who bond by being against administration, right? And they're splitting and thinking that leadership is through that split. And it's that's a bad idea. It's not a good idea to do any kind of splitting or creating sides. Even union versus administration splits the department. Um, Democrat and Republic splits the United States. Uh, so can we avoid that? Probably not. Uh, but it's definitely a major image distorting level defense mechanism. Need I say more? All right. So what about action level? Action level defenses include acting out, apathetic withdrawal, help rejecting complaining, and passive aggression. So acting out is a very low level defense. So let's say you were abused as a child and you grew up and now you're beating someone that you love. You're acting out. You're showing how you've been treated in your lifetime. Let's say a little kid was sexually abused and then they start doing sexual play with their peers. They're not uh, little mini sex offenders. Uh, they're acting out. They may not have the words or the language or the social um, guidance to know any better. Uh, not to say that people who act out sexually are not criminal. Certainly there are some criminals. Um, but when we talk about acting out, I want you to imagine that someone doesn't really realize that what they're doing is showing the world how they've been treated. So that's, that's what the defense mechanism is for. 
That way we can spot, oh my gosh, something happened to that person and we can offer them help. Um, but of course we often just hate the person or, you know, we don't like them. Um, but I would rather people understand that acting out is a defense to, to offer some communication about where they're suffering or hurting. Now, what about apathetic withdrawal? That's the, I don't care. I don't care. If a first responder comes into my office, sits across from me and says, you know what? I just don't care anymore. I'm not going to give a fuck. Zero fucks to give. Uh, I know that there's some apathetic withdrawal there to protect you because you really do care uh, and you're not sure what to do about that. The next one on the action level for defense mechanisms is help rejecting complaining. This one's really tough for me. (laughs) As a therapist for first responders and you ask me for help and then you reject the help and complain about the help, um, that's a thing. That's a very real thing. And it's a challenging defense mechanism And what you're doing is you're just resisting the change. You're resisting your own accountability, your own responsibility for your happy, healthy, safe, and free. So if someone comes to me and sits down and says, this therapist didn't work and that therapist didn't work and nobody can help me, I start to wonder, ooh, do you have a help-rejecting, complaining defense mechanism going on here? So I hope that helps describe that as well. And again, moving on because of time, the next one is passive aggression. So passive aggressive is something we all loathe and don't like. It's not a smart thing um, to be covertly negative. Uh, It's, yeah, covert negativity is challenging because you're not actually sticking your neck out and saying, I'm going to be mean to you and make you feel awful you're going to do it in this way that just sort of sabotages the other person's happiness. And you can't have remorse and not having remorse is pretty antisocial. And you can't have any empathy for what you're doing to the other person either because you're getting sort of a sick pleasure out of being passive aggressive towards someone. So this is a pretty wild um, and awful action level defense mechanism What you're doing, again, is sharing your misery and showing us how you've been treated. So there's a little bit of acting out there as well. But passive aggressive is nasty. And my hope is that if you identify that in yourself, you ask for a little bit of help. And if you're a victim of it, to definitely create some space and boundaries. Okay, last section, and it's 49 minutes and 49 seconds. Uh, We're going to look at level of defensive dysregulation. All right, so for defense mechanisms in this category, we have three, delusional projection, psychotic denial, and psychotic distortion. So defensive dysregulation is really severe, um, as severe as it sounds. Delusional projection is, you know, let let me explain this. We have cognitions, we have cognitive distortions, then we have delusions, And then we can have like psychotic thoughts, bizarre thoughts. So in other words, we have thinking, we have thinking errors, and then we have like really severe misunderstandings, which is the delusional part. Psychotic, again, is on that more bizarro side. But delusional projection, uh, a great example of that, I guess I think about a depressed person who says, 
you don't even want me here anyway. You don't even care if I live anyway. So that's a delusional thought. Like, why are you thinking my thoughts? Don't think other people's thoughts. Don't assume what other people are thinking. But not only are you delusional in what you think I think, you're projecting your own thought and your own issue onto me. You may not want to be here, but now I know that and I can start treating that. But if you think that I don't want to be here or I don't want you to be here, that is a delusional projection example. Moral of the story, don't think other people's thoughts and don't project your shit on other people. Okay. What's psychotic denial? Uh, that's a total lack of insight. I think of anosognosia. So that's a pretty wild wor- word, but but it means that you reject, deny, and lack insight about your own mental illness. So people with schizophrenia, for example, sometimes won't take their medication because they don't think that they actually have a mental illness or they're having a really difficult time facing that. So psychotic denial is dangerous and causes some of those psych calls that you go on. The last one is psychotic distortion. Those include things like hallucinations, delusions, and disrupted or or unorganized thinking. So starting from the bottom up, um, disrupted and unorganized thinking that psychotic distortion can happen to someone who has acute stress disorder and even trauma. It might happen on a really bad day or if you're just, you know, there could be that level of stress where you're struggling. So unorganized thinking is included here. But delusion is definitely a false belief. So if you have delusional thinking, you have thought that thought so many times that you actually believe it, you think it's true, and it's actually a false belief. So psychotic distortion, you're not going to function well in the world if you have a false belief on that delusional level. And then finally, a hallucination is a psychotic distortion because those are false perceptions. And most often they are either auditory, um, so what you're hearing, or visual uh, hallucinations. Again, false perceptions. So usually they're either or, by the way. And uh, those are also pretty dangerous because if you're hearing or seeing something that is not there, uh, again, we're not functioning in reality. So these are all the different defense mechanisms that are recognized in the DSM-4. And as I said before, we have this outer layer of a personality that's heavily defended, rooted by the ego, all to protect the self. They're not good or bad, right or wrong. We just want to be aware that we shouldn't employ them long-term and make them permanent fixtures in our personality. These things can be used as tools in the toolbox, um, but some of them absolutely shouldn't be used at all and are just an indication or a major warning sign that your ego and defenses really think that you are threatened and you need to ask for some help. So that is the piggyback to feel your fucking feelings, the previous podcast. And this one is the ego and its defenses. And I hope it helped to explain a little bit about what I mean when I talk about ego and defenses in the whole podcast, period. 
And I'll take this time now to remind you that my name is Sarah Gura. I'm a licensed clinical professional counselor in Illinois, a licensed mental health counselor in Florida. I'm going to remind you to do life so it doesn't do you, to take good care, and to stay safe. All right, take care. Bye.